Hi, everybody. Welcome back to It's Not Magic, our podcast from Sixth Street. We invite influential leaders to get to the core of how they're tackling complex tasks in their industry and the world. Today's guest has established himself as someone who gets things done in the film industry. He has an eye for determining a storyline's potential for success, but he'll be the first to tell you that the real story lies within the numbers. As I look at the A, my office is right over the AMC, and I look down there. People going, why are you going to a movie theater? You're going for certain parts of the body to be hit. These aren't brain shots. You're going in on a Friday at five o'clock after a tough week. You want to be scared shitless. You want to be romantically moved. You want to laugh out loud. You want to have a emotional, you know, heartfelt crying experience. And you got to know, I believe, too, really what you're targeting emotionally and that that delivers enough at a level enough, big enough, you're going to get out of the house to see it. That's Bill Block, chief executive officer of Miramax, one of the most active and robust independent film and television studios. Bill began his career as a talent agent, helping high profile actors to capitalize on their careers and then found his rhythm producing and financing films. My guess is you've probably seen at least one movie that Bill has produced. His portfolio is extensive, including films like The Blair Witch Project, Halloween, and Requiem for a Dream. In 2017, Bill was appointed CEO of Miramax, where he was tasked with spearheading a complete production reboot of what was a primarily library-based company, turning it into a film and television production business. Bill will walk us through how he was able to transform the business and discuss the value of thoughtful capital in a creative industry. Producing a box office hit requires some risk and a lot of collaboration, but it's not magic. I actually want to start situating Miramax in the firmament. What do you guys do? We finance uh, movies and television shows. We're not a distributor. Yeah. So uh, it's a, a library off. So the six or 700 titles yeah. of it. And that's really, what do we do? We distribute those titles. Uh, to, and they have such long life What's kind of unprecedented about it, probably six to seven billion was spent in P&A, you know, cumulatively on all of them. P&A, define P&A. Prints and advertising, uh, media buying. So the awareness of the titles goes on decades later, uh, too. So it's distributing a library and then financing and producing new content. And you came to Miramax when it was... Acquired about six, seven years ago, something like that, right? Correct. Colony, um, when Disney put it up for sale. Right. And the sort of thesis at that point was, okay, we're back. We're going to make movies again. There's a lot in that verb, make. And as an outsider, obviously, we all watch movies and TV. We all like think that we're experts. And then you think about, how, how, did this, how, did, how does this actually get done? You start to talk to people in the industry. It's very complicated. There's a lot of people kind of in the ecosystem. So maybe just drill down a little bit more on like, wh- where are you in the ecosystem and what are you doing and how are you, how are you bringing people together when you say finance? I mean, you're, you're doing a lot more than that's providing the, That's the final decision yeah. to finance or not. Yeah. Uh, and back yet, we're not a distributor, but yes, it is putting together the script, the talent, the package, uh, the budget, the schedule, and then making the decision to go or not go right. uh, on it and to source that. So what um, are you doing on a given day like or a given week? It's sourcing. Yeah. Uh, it's chasing. It's um, discerning. 
It's reading. It's seeing, too. I learned from, uh, I was a student of Mickey Drexler's, you know, at The Gap. He always went shopping. I, I, I always go to the movies still. Um, I go every week. And that's the laboratory. And uh, I always find not many people here do that because we've all read the script. Let's back up. Yeah. Were you always, were you, are, you're describing to me, I'm, I'm here and you're kind of a movie nut. You're kind of a TV nut. You, you love this stuff. Have you always been that way? Were you that way as a kid? Is yes. that, yeah. yeah. I've been reading Variety since I was honestly 10 or 11. Why, uh, how did that I happen? I get it. New Standard New York yeah. a few days later. Yeah. Where you grew up in the city? Yeah. Say Manhattan or yeah, yeah. Manhattan. And what uh, t- what was that like? Tell me about that. Why were you attracted to reading variety at the newsstand as opposed to other things? Probably the same reason. You know, a lot of people in you know in the business not the happiest home, uh, getting out of it, and uh, you know finding a certain solace. You know, an escape. Uh, you know, in movies. Where did you Where did you go to watch the movies? What do you remember? I mean, that was the heyday of uh, art house cinema. Yeah. So Theater Eight of St. Mark's, Thalia, The Elgin. Uh, I think I saw maybe literally. A thousand movies between eight and eighteen. What attracted? Was it anything, or did you have themes? Obviously, they probably evolved between eight and eighteen. (laughs) No, but you know, too. So you know, the whole rise of um, European cinema, Truffaut, Godard, uh, Fellini, and then the ability to see the Howard Hawks as the Lubitsches, the the history of it on a big screen at those theaters at the time, with the current. And it was a big technological shift then, too, uh, that uh, I, I experienced. You had the you had true barriers to entry to yeah. get in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you had to have a soundstage. You had to have significant equipment, significant recording equipment, to expertise. And then the Bolex, the Canon Scopic, certain smaller cameras, CBS actually developed one for the Vietnam War that married sound and film so they could shoot the war. Uh, and cover it, uh, too, that led to the Easy Riders. And that was the breakthrough for my generation or people like myself say, oh, it's like, you know, the iPhone today. If I got hold of this, I could do it. I wish this were a film podcast. I want to, per, I want to pursue a bunch of different lines that I want to talk about Ernst Lubitsch and talk about Easy Riders, but we're not going to do yeah, that because, no, because no. I'm inexpert. Um, but I do want to talk. So, so then you're 18, you, you went to Columbia. So you went yep. up, uptown. Yes. Um, were you going to be, were you, what did you want to do? Like, how did you see you, did you see yourself like pursuing a passion in film in your life or you were like, okay, that's great, but I'm going to go be a whatever. No, no. I, I won't, always wanted to get out here yeah. as fast as I could. And, you know, parents who wanted me to go to Goldman Sachs and that's what I was trained for and uh, they sacrificed and I, you know, went to great schools and, you know, um, my father ultimately said, okay, you know. <laughs> Go do it, which I hitchhiked out here at first uh, and then came back and got a car and loaded up, uh, got a job uh, through the Hollywood Reporter, answered an ad, and was, uh, you know, not then. You had to be a real touch typist. So, you know. Oh, so you, you started off on the journalism side? No, secretary. Okay. Secretary. Got it. Yeah, that's how you start. Got it. Secretary to an agent. It was always about getting out here, getting into the, the business of this. Got it. Okay. Talk about, so you, you, this you, is the wall street. You can't do it in New York. No, I got, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, you got, you got to, you have to be, 
it's it's funny and i i'm um well, let's talk about the sort of as we progress through this like do you still need to be here and i assume not, you do. not now i mean you have soap operas you have the whole advertising business yeah. and you have a lot of comedy and you have the news yeah in new york which are major the whole advertising world there yeah. you know and a lot of network and network uh, you know broadcast television uh too but the the film business and television the production business was out here got it okay so Whatever information you can find about Bill Block on the internet, it's like he started as an agent, he became a legendary agent. What does that mean? What's that evolution? <laughs> is that, is that, do, you, do you quibble with that, uh, with that uh, characterization? Yeah, yeah, I was a super agent. <laughs> Sorry. No. Sorry. I don't know the hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, at the time, there were supermodels, super agents. It's one of the best ways to learn and see because it really does come down to for I think in any business to being involved with people smarter than you yeah um, working with you know significant talents that maybe know more than you or do know more than you and to uh, operate effectively and get things done for them uh-huh. and with them how did you get smart on that bill I mean like you're like I'm some movie star I'm sitting with you and I'm like, they're offering me this. Should I do it? That judgment requires you to know the business, have a sense of what my trajectory is going to be. Investing is kind of selecting among alternatives, what the alternatives are. Like, how did you get smart on all that? How do you, how are you doing that like day to day? You know, in a simplistic way, just uh, uh, it's fundamentally about the filmmaker, the director involved, money, distribution, marketing. Yeah. Who's marketing? When are you coming out? What are you up against too? Yeah. Dollars are very important, too. These are, you know, folks who like to and want to and have the opportunity after, a, you know, usually a long period of struggle that the public doesn't see to make a lot of money. And they know there's a window for it. Yeah. So you have to you know, get that. Or if you don't get the top dollar, somebody else will. I won't say who. I once signed a very, very significant star from a rival agency. She was making... Uh, I don't know, $2 million a movie. I said, I guarantee I will make you $10 million or I won't commission you. She signed with me and I made her 12 to 15. But immediately upped her price, fought harder, said no. I always teach that. No is the, the how you say no and, and when you say no to something is a skill. It is a skill. Can you dig into that? Like explain that. Like that's a creation of scarcity thing. It's a creation of um, you know, doing it the right way, making, making people want to chase stuff. Like what, what are you what are yeah. you talking about? I used to what uh, in the in the mail room. Uh, I have to be careful about this. I used to have <laughs> we we would watch De Palma and Pacino's Scarface. It's got five great negotiating scenes in it. Okay. But one of the first ones is F. Murray Abraham offers street gangster Pacino. His first real job, and involves a, a murder, and uh, he says no, and everyone says you've got to watch this. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm offering you a lot of money. Fuck you, no, uh, too. And he has no power, but he turns it down. You kill him, and then he gets what he wants. So, the ability to say no, even at a certain point. You know, too. I was reading a wonderful Taylor Sheridan interview. Uh, too recently, too. It's held on to it. Stallone 
was uh, adamant about directing Rocky too. And so that is where you're aligned with the talent and certain talents who do have a vision and a self-confidence to that the industry is always going to push back on um, that you push through. It sounds like your negotiating school was in part the movies. Is that fair? Do you think about movies as like a as like a model when you're ta- when you're thinking about what to do every day? Some of them, yeah. Sometimes I ask, you know, what would Steve McQueen do? <laughs> it depends. It depends on the movie. <laughs> the Great Escape doesn't end that well. Huh? <laughs> yes. uh, right. It's usually the right thing. Interesting. As a person or as, an, or as a character? As a character. <laughs> as a moral code. As a moral code. As a moral code. What would Bogey do? What would James Garfield do? What would William Holden do? Right. That's kind of incredible. Or there's multiple selves. Or we always, yeah, the fixed ego is yeah. another thing, you know, too. And that, that, that's something that plays into decision making, too. We talked a little bit about, and I do want to talk about this with you later, about centering yourself in meditation and, and being present. You said that that was really important as an agent. How did you, well, what yeah, was that all about? Yeah, I don't even like the word meditation. Mindfulness. Mindfulness. The mindfulness gym of, of sitting uh, and uh, you know going through uh, the four foundations of mindfulness. Yeah. When we started, you were talking about the 16-ring circus of making a movie or making, yeah. making a, um, a work. And you were listing all the different constituencies. You're objecting to circus? Or no, no, it is. And you're, you're getting to it, David. You're getting to just how many factors are out of your control, how many exogenous things can come up against you all the way up to the release. Yeah. Do you know, too? I've had a movie wiped out by a blizzard on the East Coast, do you know, on a mid-January opening. Right. Can you talk about a project, by name or not, where yeah. it's like, Multiple companies, like talent that's all, whatever. Like where you had to, like what are you doing? Are you the center of the gravity? Are you the eye of the storm? I'm a, no, I'm a just, uh, you know, looking. I've always looked at it, you know, from a, a financial point of view. I must, uh, I would tell you uh, probably the best training I had was at Bain Capital doing the uh, LBO of uh, live entertainment with them. Yeah, talk about that. Uh, so, but just, uh, it's a valuation point of view, uh, not a what does the production cost point of view. But a couple of fun examples of the Blair Witch Project, which everybody passed on, you know, at that Sundance. And uh, we just got it for such a, you know, good and low price that there was very little risk uh, to it. And then the rest is, uh, you know, uh, business movie history. I think it's still maybe the greatest return on investment for uh, one or two million dollars that, you know, resulted in several hundred million globally. So you've been kind of talking about all along taste. You've been talking about taste. Yes. Yeah. What is taste? Yeah, it's uh, it's having knowledge of what's great. Got to know what's great first. Have experienced, seen, read, known what's excellent. That helps discern currently in front of you, is this excellent? Yeah. And so, is that the filter? It's excellent? Because you yes. do have this tension. I'm sorry to jump around, but you yeah. have this tension between, I got to do something short term. I got to do something. I got to put up numbers or put up a success today because that attracts other business and obviously it makes money and whatever. And you have distribution uh, uh, pressure. Yeah. You've got to get it out. You've got to hit your target of four to six a year. But if you go back to that 600, 700 title library, like, I mean, not everything in there is fantastic, but a lot of stuff is. Oh, it's, yeah. It's pretty extraordinary. And like, that's like a long-term testament to taste, which you don't always see in the next quarter or next two quarters or whatever. How how are you balancing that? Well, I mean, first of all, it's him. I can't comment on him, but whatever, you know, the terrible character flaws of 
him. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the results and taste were, you know, extraordinary, uh, too. Um, you know, in my own way, uh, you know, you have Blair Witch Project or something fun, you know, too. I'd give you another example quickly, you know, District 9, uh, too. Nobody wanted to do it. So what did you see? That's numbers. a great movie. What did you see in that? Numbers. And numbers. Numbers. And, uh, uh, you know, a terrific young talent and Peter Jackson. Yeah. So you have Peter Jackson behind it, and the numbers work that uh, there was no equity risk, uh, that it could be made for uh, international debt, yeah. international sales yeah. against yeah. big debt. So a, a risk-free proposition, you're Peter Jackson, okay, uh, yeah. here's the financing. Right, 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 right. Got it. The rest is, yeah. I got it, but I, I guess I'm I'm searching for it. Maybe, maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. That there's like this moment where you're sitting wherever you're sitting, or you're with your team, or your team's bringing something to you, and someone is just like, "This is the thing. This is great," and you're making a very subjective call, which always makes when I think about these businesses, they're very hard to underwrite, or they're hard to, because you're backing somebody's taste. You're like, you're gonna you're gonna be a great picker of things that sometimes by necessity, like no one else is seeing. You keep saying like everybody passing this, but I, I saw it or we saw it. It's just numbers. It's not just numbers. It isn't, but it's largely. Interesting. Right, it's largely, yeah. it's largely the numbers that de-risk it yeah. to. And then, oh, you know, Sue Mingers once said, uh, you know, I signed Barbara Streisand after Funny Girl. Meaning that I'm not in the new talent business. I see. Now that I admire, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Taking a new talent and seeing something there who hasn't proven anything. Right. I'm dealing with proven talents who've had significant successes, who know what they're doing uh -huh. too, and have a financial and a commercial uh, success behind them. Got it. A current opportunity that you know marries to their skill set. Um, now, then that gets very competitive. You're not in the seed business. You're in the growth business. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not in the seed business. Yeah. Never have been. Not as an agent, nor as a, uh, as a, a studio uh, executive. Okay. So then you look at the numbers. You see, you've got some some people who know what they're doing. You're putting this all together, and still it could it could go sideways. And give an example. Well, then that's, that's where you come back to the valuation. You know, so that, hey, you know, too, what, what, here, it's going to, here, Bill, it's going to cost $50 million, but it's not, the definition of what it's worth is, what's, it, what's the international market going to give you in pre-sales? What's the domestic market maybe going to look at uh, as an advance against pay or home entertainment at the time? Yeah. And then what's your tax credit? And then do you put any follow-up, follow-on equity? And after that, you add all that up. And that is, you got to back your budget into that. Right. Uh, and that's the exercise that we do here. And then it's a runway model. You push it down a runway. You go into pre-production. Uh, and you see, can all these components come together to hit strike price? Uh, you have a bond company that's guaranteeing the delivery, too, because yep. there's bank debt involved. Yep. Uh, the convergence of all that in pre-production um, equals liftoff or abandonment. Got it. A guy in your seat 20 years ago, would they have would they have been talking about the business in this way? I suspect not, and I want to talk about why. 
I always have because I was doing this 20 years ago. Yeah. When I did it at Artisan. Well, sir, I did Bain. Right. Do you know that was 1998, 99? Uh, they ran, they were terrific. We ran the first film regression model. It took 12 hours with whatever the microchip was <laughs> to. So it was. These guys were terrific. They adjust everything and it came out. Bill, make $15 million thrillers. That was the answer. That was the answer. That was the answer. Yes. That's pretty funny. Um, how has, uh, there's a lot of capital that's come into the space in the last yes. however many years. Institutional I've seen, capital. I've seen it all. You've seen it all. So how German has capital, that, Japanese capital, German capital. Uh, we've never quite gotten the Silicon Valley capital. Been too, too smart. <laughs> really? I, I thought there's well, a lot more tech money coming into, into the space. Um. Uh, but in a socially conscious way. But no, they, other than Amazon and Bezos buying the MGM library, um, you know, no Apple, they, they're all um, cleverly and correctly figured out somewhat what I'm doing too. Don't need to be a distributor, don't need to buy library. I'll go right to Endeavor or UTA or CA myself. Right. Talk about how the different types of capital, how they change the way you think about the business, the way the business is overall run, the industry. You, you hit something. You hit something, too. I mean, the proliferation of platforms and content, the time, you know, those leisure time studies. So you and I, how much leisure time do you have? Right. Got wife, kids. Right. Too. You're lucky to get out to a restaurant. Right. You know, on Saturday. So from 15, where, you know, a teenager has nothing to do. Uh, their homework, depending, you know, too. They may have 10, 15, 20 hours of true leisure time. Right. And that, dis that compresses as you advance in life. Who are you targeting and how are you you're filling that? Now, TikTok takes up two hours of people's Saturday night media consumption. Yeah. How deep is your Netflix queue? Yeah. That's why this strike is going to go on, I believe, for a while. The writer's strike, yeah. Two, there's yeah. just now, I've never, to me... You, you saw the 90s, pre-internet distribution, complete barriers to entries, three networks, a few distributors, to now everybody's a distributor, everybody's a content creator. And the next step is generative AI, where everybody... Okay, you're going there. Let's go there. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's a, let's unpack. A, yeah. we, there's a lot to talk about in what you just said. First of all, let's talk about who you're competing against. So you were talking about on Saturday night, people go out to the movies. This is earlier in the conversation. To, yeah. And, and you're like, uh, you know, uh, I got to figure out when I want to release because that could kill me, but maybe that's not. Now you're competing against absolutely sports. everything. Small, yeah. yeah what, games. Yeah. A game launch, yeah. a sports launch, a TikTok this. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the social media. So how are you thinking about what's going to work? I mean, that, that has to have fundamentally changed over the last 10 years. It, it does. And uh, it has uh, tightened, tightened my target. To, I'm looking at you below the neck. Yeah. So as I look at the A, my office is right over the AMC. Uh -huh. And I look down there. People going, why are you going to a movie theater? Yeah. You're going for certain parts of the body to be hit. These aren't brain shots. You're going in on a Friday at 5 o'clock after a tough week. Yeah. You want to be scared shitless. You want to be romantically moved yeah you want to laugh out loud you want to have a emotional you know heartfelt crying experience and you gotta know i believe too 
really what you're targeting emotionally and that that delivers enough at a level enough, big enough, you're going to get out of the house to see it. I see. So, okay. So the, the other things that are, that are competing for attention, you, you're, you're in the, I got to try and capture share of the attention business now. And I've got to compete on, yeah, I got to, yeah. and I can't compete with Marvel. Right. And um, right. I can, cannot compete on the superhero level uh, or on special effects level. Right. So I have to compete on the emotional level. Got it. And how much of that is, is a function of, if you look at our kids' generation, they're looking at things in bite sizes, the attention span is a lot lower, blah, blah, all, all, all that stuff that you read in the popular press. Is that right? Is that how you're thinking about is that how you're thinking about what you're competing against? I don't think we think against? about that, David, too much as, you know, your target audience. So it really, you're fortunate to get, you know, certainly males under 25, yeah. uh, you know, don't go. Very little interest in going. Uh, so it's males over 35, females over 35, too. Uh, and that's where the bulk of uh, the uh, exhibition audience is. Interesting. Except for the occasional something, too. Right. The, the sort of big event that everybody feels like they have to yeah. see. Are you seeing difference, differences from market to market globally? Like the, the bigger market, the ex-US big markets, are they different in terms of it? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an internationalist. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Middle East is uh, exploding in a demographic and terrific way. I call it the new China. Uh, and uh, there's really, exhibition is coming on there. Uh, the demand is coming on there right. uh, too. And it's local. But yeah, if you go to the Champs-Élysées, if you go to the Shinjuku, and uh, if you're outside, uh, used to be a subway in Moscow, you'd see you know, DVDs of your current release for $2. Right. We've been talking about you know, large exhibitions, but streaming is a very different thing. You- the dramatic quality and a lot of the great writers have moved there, mm-hmm. uh, too, which is so satisfying about it. So that shift in excellence has moved to, and the great writing uh, and producing has moved to the uh, to the platforms in many ways. These terrific series, yeah. Um, and um, but is that a function of the distribution mechanism, or is that? I think it's an expansion of storytelling. So narratives have changed. Yeah. Too writers have changed. Yeah. So the the kind of episode ending, the the old uh, the television model now. A continuous story over 10, 12 hours takes some terrific uh, deep writing. No doubt. Yeah. Rewind. You got here six, seven years, seven years ago or so. Yeah. Your first year, what were you trying to... Obviously, Miramax, a storied name, the big library, but you were really trying to build something new on it or next to it or whatever as part of it. What was that like? What were your first 90 days, 180 days? What were you trying to do? Well, didn't always clean up. So, and had a legacy securitization. It was sucking all the cash flow uh, out of the company. That was a hedge fund modeled. So that had to be. So that was a financing that was backed by the cash colony. flow on so the actual. Was, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Colony had securitized library, was dividending, you know, correctly to themselves too. So that needed to be replaced with a senior facility that could be used for production. Massive overhead reduction that had to take place. We went from 150 to 50 getting out of distribution, coming clear to the town, we're a pure financier, uh, and uh, restating the proposition to the talent. This is the home for getting it done, certainty, and then distribution optionality. How do you get that out there to the talent? Like, what are you doing? 
got to, you know, you got to go see uh, uh, the, the Bryans, the Richards, the Aries, uh, the Jeremys, uh, and, uh, and make your case and make your case, you know, to uh, their agents. Yeah. Why us? Yeah. Because top talents have six opportunities. Right. So make that to them. Got it. What about culture internally? Like, how, how do you think about that? If you the thing you hear all the time is you know culture eat strategy for breakfast is that right in your business and how are you setting culture and what are you doing because if you look at it from the from the outside or not you know the culture of this town is, seems tough is that right uh, I hear it's small I mean we did for kicks come up with our uh, our corporate mission statement. Just for kicks? Or for kicks. It? Yeah, yeah. Internally. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's not on a website or anything. But it's number one, have fun. Yeah. Have fun. And pain can be fun, but embrace it. And number two is get it done. Yeah. You know, and number three is make money. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Have fun, but get it done. And then, you know, make some... How do you reinforce get it done? Like, get it done is a great one. That's important. How do you yes. reinforce that? How do you, like, it's the like, deal making, because the deal making can be prolonged. Yeah. So too, to cut to it, get to the bottom line. There's no clay court tennis here. It's serve and volley. Either, <laughs> you know, come in within the first few exchanges, no prolonged back ends. Here it is. So we redid that, you know, too, uh, to come up with, that was also part of why us, best definitions, clean accounting, real participation statement paying to as the alignment and trade-off for price reduction yeah. and financial certainty. Got it. How often are you talking to the talent when you're putting a project together and you're, are you giving them helpful suggestions? Are you trying to get involved in the creative process? Are you, you, you draw lines and say, you guys go do what you want to do, or is there a middle ground? How do you think about that? There's a, there's a, it's, I would say it's 80% talent within the economic uh, moat yeah. box that we build yeah. to. Yeah. And then the other 10, 15% is marketing feedback, which I try to provide for them because I've always been weary, David, of what I call a subjective executive. I know what works. I know what you want to see. Right. I have the secret sauce. Right. And right. And that, by the way, executives perpetuate that halo around themselves to justify a lot of things. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a believer. It's. It's. Um, it's. Um, it's. Ninety uh, percent the artist. Uh, that you're in business with. Right. Uh, and one thing we do here is all writer-directors. All writer-directors. So tell me what that means. One voice. We don't develop a script and hire a director. I see. Which is the studio model. So if that gets around, people have to be very excited to work right. with Right. I'm, I'm, I'm a star executive. I know, I know what... Here, you're paying me a lot of money. Yeah. Just as you said, I know how to pick them. Right, right. Right? That's the whole thing, the right. mystique. Right, right, right. Yes. So I'm going to develop a script. And, uh, and I'm going to hire you to direct it. And you're going to come in and tell me what I want to hear to get the job. Right. And then you're going to listen to me because I am a movie genius. Right. And uh, tell you exactly what it's going to take to win. Recipe for disaster. Uh, and exactly. Yeah. This is why you see, I believe, uh, 80% failure. I'd rather go down with a single voice, uh, a writer-director. Yeah. Uh, and I've gone up far and away 
you know, um, about 80, 90% of the time with them. So right. the job is to back them, package them, take that vision uh, all the way. Yeah. You, thought, you mentioned AI before. Part of the writer strike, we also refer to that, is, you know, drawing lines around what AI should be used for, what it should not be used for. How, how, how do you think about that? I haven't looked at what the issues of what it should or shouldn't be used for, so I don't know. But okay. but but you would use it in any positive way you could, um, particularly for storyboarding, pre-visualizing. I think it's going to be generative AI. I think either Rex Woodbury or somebody smarter than myself said this that uh, is going to be is going to do to production costs what the internet did to distribution. You take Elemental, which cost maybe 200 million, I think in five years, you're doing that movie for uh, 15 or 20. Yeah. Uh, two. Yeah. How does that change the sort of overall structure of the town? It's again, it allows for more voices to come in and do it. Yeah. Um, they're still gonna need money. They're going to need marketing in a newer and smarter way yeah. to break through uh too and 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 be able to be found right uh how does one become a star it is through marketing that's interesting i mean the, the talent pipelines are very disintermediated now you're you're finding people on tiktok and youtube and they're you know i don't know how many stories are there are a couple of anyway like is that what has that taught you about what you what we thought about what talent that kind of on screen talent was? It's the narrative capability, and that's a tougher form to crack. Commercial directors yeah. came and went for the most part, doing a thirty or sixty second spot that looks terrific, that takes two days to light beautifully, is not the same as shooting a hundred and twenty page script you know, in 40 days at all. Right. So maybe my own confirmation by a certain way, but the short form is very different, powerful, advertising-driven, yeah. than what you're paying for Yeah. in long-form content. We were just talking about you vis-a-vis -vis the, um, the writer-director model and sort of the benefits of that. Pull the camera out, and people who are providing capital into the business who also think that they can be helpful. And sometimes that's sold as kind of like a virtue of thoughtful capital. We can be helpful, not just money, but intellectual capital. Is that useful or is that like, guys, you don't know what you're doing? No, I've experienced that. Yeah. Thoughtful, helpful capital. We like to think we are that, and, and but I'm yes. wondering if it's true in the creative, true. In the creative business. Well, yeah. it, it is true to, um, it's always been true to me, but I've worked with uh, private equity too, so it's a different experience. Yeah. I think so yes, uh, I go back to Bain or uh, our current owners are completely analytical, yeah. being capital. Yeah. It is, what's the regression model? What's the forecast? What's your downside? Yeah. And like that for the green light, what's your deals? You know, to how much of the back end are you giving away to back it in? Thoughtful capital can actually be useful in a creative business. We're not just all tourists. Oh God, yeah, because that's, that's, the, that's the process of a green light. There, once again, don't, nobody should be kidded. Anybody who's in this seat and is going to be deploying hundreds of millions of dollars is reporting up to a board. 
that is looking at you, and you've got to bake that in well in advance, too, and let the talent know that, too. It's part of the runway we're talking about. You don't have a green light yet. Right. i got to go to the board. Right. we got to do this and that. Um, I'm a big believer in marketing and positioning studies. Is there demand out there, too? Yeah. I could tell you some stories about that, too. Go ahead. Okay. Here's a good one. Here's a quick one that just came to mind. <laughs> so after the Blair Witch Project, I'm just a, a genius. I mean, uh, really, uh, the guys at Bain Capital looked at me like, whoa. Uh, and so, filled with myself, I think, okay, I'm going to now make great horror. I'm, horror is it. I'm going to make horror movies. Right. And I go back to one of my old favorites, you know, Willard, a rat movie. Uh, too, I get the rights. I develop it. Uh, and now whatever I say is going to get done, um, too. So, uh, but I checked myself. I send it to a top marketer at the time, Joseph Helfgott, market cast, who did research. He came back with finding, you can't make this movie, Bill. And I said, what? Let me make this movie. You can't make it. People's primordial fear of rats—they <laughs> will not go. And I'm telling you, this is this is this statistical. This is 80, 90 percent. And I go with it. I say, okay. I put it in turnaround. New line picks it up, makes it, and loses twenty-five million. So that was an early lesson. Shut up. Listen to the demand analysis, and you know. I've been relentless about ascertaining that uh, always uh, since before green lighting, too. Animate the rats. That's my that's my uh, that's my takeaway. Ratatouille. Animate the rats. <laughs> that's, that's by the way a better way. <laughs> I guess so. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's I still cringe a little bit seeing the rat in the kitchen. Correct. Yeah. I still cringe a little bit. Um, memorabilia. What's uh, talk about screenbid.com. This is, uh, we have a joint venture with uh, Heritage and uh, the, uh, the perfect uh, partner to really and platform to open up this whole world. Essentialism, it's fascinating. The essence we attribute to something a famous or a great person has been involved with. Do you know John F. Kennedy's tape measure sold for $50,000? Wow. It was his. He really used it. Yeah. So the provenance of hero-worn items, too, it's a, it's a whole new world now, too, uh, especially television, but it has to be authentic, too. Uh, and it's Jennifer Aniston's dress that she actually wore, do you know, on Friends? And there's only one of them. Do you have a, do you have a collection? No. Of no. So that platform is to, no, is to, uh, to sell them. I collect art. Uh, too, but uh, uh, the uh, the it's the same thing. Art, it's it's a it's. You know, I, I feel like I came here from the finance world, and I'm the I happen to be the romantic in this conversation. And you're like the stone cold like numbers guy. It's hilarious. <laughs> well, why do we attribute essence to uh, you know here this tape, whatever it is, this prop? If somebody significant was involved with it, yeah. Describe sort of the essence of the business in the, in 15 years. What do you think it's going to be like? 15 years from now? Yeah. I've got to tell you, I'm so fortunate to have kind of this front row seat um, on uh, where it's going, uh, too. This may be me with, you know, my, my historical thesis has always been talent, not me. I see that getting even more significant. 
I've said this to, you know, our partners, consider investing directly, as um, Mayor and Stags have done, directly in significant talents, the Reese Witherspoon Company, et cetera, too. Uh, I believe that is where it is going as distribution gets owned by the platforms to the studios, ultimately uh, sell and conflate together here, too. You want to, for the next five to 15 years, be an equity partner of X major director, X major star, who's going to consistently deliver content. And historically, the Castle Rocks or even, you know, DeVito had a great company, Mel Gibson had a great company, too, where they worked for themselves, Amblin, too, worked for themselves, delivered their own product, brought in others. I see that from an investment point of view as the future. So the, and those companies will be making things across the spectrum. In terms Correct, of, in terms across of, the uh, spectrum uh, too. And you want to finance, own, be in business, you know, with them. Uh, Jerry Cardinal's Redbird, I think, very cleverly in business, you know, with uh, you know Ben Affleck. And to sit down with Ben Affleck now is to be talking to, frankly, a formidably smart businessman yeah. as well as great artist. Yeah. Other technologies you see coming into, like people talk about VR and sports. You can go beyond the field or you can be sitting in you know front row seats or whatever is there something similar in the movie business well i saw i mean if you see the last uh, 20 minutes of uh, the vision pro demonstration to the apple goggles i see it as a window i see it as a licensing opportunity yeah. so that where here you're gonna take uh one of our you know uh from dust till dawn and imax it inside at a fee at a window Day and date or within a certain first month exclusively to Vision Pro, perhaps. Yeah. I see them as licensing opportunities. Got it. So I, now I imagine you kind of going down to the AMC and seeing what's out there. My grandfather was in retail, and he always used to like walk around the department stores and like take notes on whatever he was taking notes on. So I'm, it's, it's oh, kind I, of— I talk to people, too. I bet you do. Yeah. But setting that aside, movie night at the Blockhouse, like, what are you putting on? Oh, I'm just— uh, Nouvelle Vogue? I'm just uh, two. First of all— Kids moving on to Blockhouse, they have zero interest. I can't get them to, to sit. Watch. Why attention they, span? Or no, they don't watch an old movie. Yeah, it's been black and white. Yeah, Dad, are you nuts? Yeah, uh, and uh, it's from the sixties. Yeah, how old are you? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> it's, so it's <laughs> yeah. uh, I a little scary. So I think the yes. Only here, where where I've I've watched this over fifty years, been involved in it that long. Um, too. Yeah. Uh, like all art forms, who reads novels? Yeah. Do you read novels? What are you I reading? do. What are you reading? Anything good? <sighs> yeah, I'll tell you what, I've done some old high school reading. Um, and I'd say it's the one novel he wrote, and it's throw the mic down. There never was anything to write again after it. And he was always pursued. Why didn't you write another novel? Is Salinger you're talking about? Ralph Ellison's Invisible oh, Man. Oh. Jesus Christ, man. To reread it, it is a surrealistic, a complete, it, that's why it can't be made into a movie and it shouldn't ever. Oh, interesting. And it's complete social surrealism that is bizarre, frightening, and just just riveting, too. I got to go back and do that. Okay. He won't, yeah, yes, uh, too. Uh, it's crazy. All right. That then Virginia Woolf, do you know, too? Because that, that stream of consciousness it went back to again. 
yeah. you know, Miss Dalloway. Yeah. Uh, too. I, I and I can you can go anywhere in that book. That was a good movie. The hours. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and Chip Miller's. Excuse me, you Miller's the, chi- the Chris chip, Miller, the Chris Chip Miller, War. Chip War. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <gasps> Excellent call back to another guest on the podcast. We appreciate that. Boy, that was a great one. That was good. Anyway, thank you. This has been great. I hope so. I've learned a lot. I hope so. And uh, we really appreciate it. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you, David. That was Bill Block, CEO of Miramax, and we spoke with him at his offices in Hollywood on July 6, 2023. Finding the middle ground between financial and creative processes is something I think Bill accomplishes really well. He's a numbers guy at heart, but he does a great job at uniting functions within the business's ecosystem towards a shared goal. Instead of inserting himself in every part of the creative process, Bill takes the approach of encouraging others with his get-it-done mentality and allowing his creative teams to do what they do best, craft compelling stories that audiences will enjoy. Above all else, it's clear that Bill has a great appreciation for the art of film and its ability to have an immense impact on our lives. Thanks for taking the time, Bill. I learned a lot from our conversation. I hope you all did too. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to It's Not Magic, a Sixth Street podcast. You can read more about our guests on SixthStreet.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it and follow us at Sixth Street News on Twitter for more news on the show and our firm. Thanks to Sixth Street's production team, Patrick Clifford and Ritby Shaw, for putting this together with sound engineering by Stephen Colon. Our theme song is It's Not Magic, an original creation by Patrick Dyer Wolf. Once again, I'm David Steepleman. Thanks for listening. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Sixth Street, and Sixth Street is not providing any investing, financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. Please see additional disclosures on our website for more details.